Ephesians chapter 1, continuing in our study of this book. We're taking a careful look at this prayer that Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus in verses 15 through 23. We're kind of camped out in verses 19 and 20, talking about the Christian's power, the power of God for the believer and how that works out in our lives and uh, the ways in which we think about that and the ways in which that's made available to us and how we lay hold of that incredibly important topic for us. Uh, So again, camping out on verses 19 and 20, but we'll start reading in verse 15, this wonderful prayer for the church in Ephesus by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 15, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. And I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Let's pray. Lord, as we do every week, we thank you for your word. So kind of you to give us your word. As we spoke about last week, there's power that you've invested in your word. It's, it's radical in what it accomplishes in our lives. And, and we want today to demonstrate that. We want the preaching and the listening to your word to be endued with power from on high by the Holy Spirit. We want our lives to be changed and transformed for the glory of God. Lord, as we prayed so many times, we ask that you save us from cold, dead religion and lifeless churchianity, that we would have a true, vibrant Christianity, a real, meaningful love affair with you, that the Holy Spirit would be very real to us, that our lives would be very much transformed by the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. And so, Spirit, give us ears to say, what you ha- ears to hear what you have to say to the church. And anoint me as your mouthpiece. Lord, I know it's only by the power of the blood that I'm able to stand here in your beloved church and declare your powerful word through the power of the Holy Spirit. So help me to teach and preach, Lord. Uh, Keep me from saying anything that wouldn't bring you glory or achieve your purposes. And give us minds that would think rightly on these things and hearts that would grab a hold of them. Christ, our deep desire is to know you more intimately, to experience more of your presence and your power in our lives and in our community. And so work that in your gathered church today. For your own glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You do realize, don't you, that the Christian life is impossible. Do you realize that? This thing that we're endeavoring to do, Christianity, following Jesus, you do realize that it's impossible, don't you? What we're called to in that, the mission that we're called to, the love that we're called to exhibit for one another, 
the forgiveness that we're called to extend to those who have offended us. The holiness and the purity which we're to live in and walk in and pursue. You do realize, don't you, that those things are completely and totally impossible in and of ourselves. That those things, if we're at all going to lay hold of them, if we're all going to have a real vibrant, true experience of Christianity, mission, love, forgiveness, all that stuff, it has to be with supernatural power. If you're endeavoring to live the Christian life, if you're pursuing holiness, purity, forgiveness, love, mission, in and of your own power, then your Christianity is a disappointment, isn't it? And it's a burden. And it's laborsome. And it's weary. And it's religious. And it's heading toward being cold and dead. And it's frustrating to you. It's impossible. The Christian life is meant to be a supernatural life cannot be, was never meant to be accomplished or experienced in and of ourselves, only by the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. And as we're talking about the Christian's power, God's power for those who believe, from verses 19 and 20, these last couple of weeks, and for the next couple, perhaps, what we must realize is that Scripture seems to say The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is a primary agent of God's power for God's people. The Holy Spirit is a primary agent of God's power for God's people. And this verse then, when it talks about the power that rose Christ from the dead, seems to be talking about the Holy Spirit. That's at least what we're told in Romans chapter 1 verse 4, speaking of Jesus It says, and he, Jesus, was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the power that rose Christ from the dead, just just think about the power that was required for the resurrection. We're not just talking about a physical resurrection, are we? We are talking about an event which would forever change the universe. We're talking about an event which our foe, who is very real, Satan, would have done everything in his power to avoid, to to hinder, to thwart. If Jesus could stay in the grave, then men and women would always have to stay in their guilt. If Jesus would stay in the grave, then men and women would forever be lost to their sin. They would perish in hell forever. But if Jesus were somehow able to conquer the grave, then men and women would not forever have to bear the weight of their sin. But there is forgiveness. And men and women would not then themselves have to bear the power of the grave, but would be risen to new life and live forever in glory with him. Everything was at stake in the resurrection. And so everything that is evil was against it. If ever there was a powerful battle, if ever there was a world war, if ever there was conflict, it was for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so there was no other power. Screaming again, huh? It's all good, okay. There was no other power that could accomplish such a thing, but the power of the person 
of the Holy Spirit. Christ was declared to be the Son of God through the resurrection from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Ephesians says, this is the same power which is available to you and me. The same power, which would mean the stakes are similar. Which would mean that we need power. Christian life was never meant to live, be lived in and of ourselves. There's too much at stake. There's sin and repentance and forgiveness and bitterness and families and marriage and divorce and life and death. Heaven and hell at stake. And so we need power. That should be evidence enough in the fact that God's spirit has always been seen as a source of power for God's people. Even back in the Old Testament, Micah 3.8, prophet says, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord. I'm, I'm filled with justice and strength to boldly declare Israel's sin and rebellion. It was always understood that, that if there's anything supernatural that's got to happen, it needs the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah chapter 4, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It's not by force or by strength, human strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. With the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing is impossible, Scripture seems to be saying. So it, it was true even in the Old Testament. It's true in a more full way in the New Testament. There's a more full availability of the power of the person of the Holy Spirit to the Christian. We have in the the book of Acts, the, the, the church being baptized in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus saying, the Father has a promise for you, the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem until you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, until the Spirit has come upon you, and you will receive power. To be my witnesses. Witnesses not only meaning when we're out in the community speaking forth the gospel, but the full fruitful Christian life. Where repentance and love and kindness and forgiveness and all these things are practiced. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. Even Jesus incarnate was dependent upon the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. That, that, that should show us how desperate we are. Jesus needed the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. When Christ was baptized by John the Baptist, what happened? The Spirit descended upon him as a dove and stayed on him. And then we read in Luke, Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. Until the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, there weren't reports about him through the whole region. He was a carpenter in Nazareth. When the Holy Spirit came upon Christ incarnate, everything changed. Luke 4, 36, amazed, the people exclaimed, what authority and power this man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him and they flee at his command. What power. Something radical is going on here. Something transformative. Something the likes of which the world has never seen. And yes, it was Christ incarnate, but it was Christ incarnate, empowered from on high with the Holy Spirit. The same one that would raise him from the dead, the same one that would baptize and fill the church, the same one that is available to you and to me today for fruitful Christian living. 
And we'll talk about the Holy Spirit narrowly today. We could do a whole year studying the Holy Spirit and the way that he empowers us. But suffice it to say, he's available for every facet and area of our lives. There's no part of our lives that's to be left untouched by the power of the Holy Spirit. The totality of our lives and all the minutia of it are to be submitted to the person of the Holy Spirit for empowering, for transformative change, for supernatural living. It's the folly of the Christian that we like to compartmentalize our lives bifurcate them between what we see to be sacred and and profane or secular. But that's not the way the Christian life is meant to live. The Christian life is to be one where we bring the totality of who we are under the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Then we might live lives that bring glory to Christ, that are different in the world, that achieve his purposes. And so the power of God is available to every Christian for every instance to resist temptation Anybody need to resist temptation? To resist the devil. Anybody into that? To do the right thing. To overcome sinful dependencies and addictions. To forgive when it's hard to do so. To love when we don't really want to. To pray when we don't know how. To witness in the face of tremendous opposition for mission locally and globally, for marriage when it's difficult, for parenting when we're overwhelmed, for dating when we don't know if they're the right one. The power of the person of the Holy Spirit is available for every facet of the Christian's life. Now, for most of us, the area where this perhaps becomes most real is the area of sin. For most of us, the daily struggle is sin. Does anybody here find themselves sinning more than they want to? Okay, most of you. The rest of you are deluded. (laughs) And in that, you've sinned. And so since we have this daily struggle with sin, it helps us tremendously today to realize that the Holy Spirit has the power to free us from the power of sin. Now we spoke about last week that the Word of God does that, and it does. And we spoke about the week before that the blood of Christ does that, and it does. It's not that these are to be compartmentalized. They're working together in the economy of God to deliver us from the power of sin. The blood of Christ, the word of God, the spirit of God. Romans 8, 2 says explicitly, and because you belong to him, talking to the Christian, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Because you belong to Jesus, your existence is different. And the Holy Spirit, God has given to you of himself. You know, there's no greater gift that you can give really to someone you love than yourself. As I've been traveling a lot lately for ministry, I, I realize, you know, my kids always ask me to bring them something back. You know, I'm, go, I'm going to Boston. Bring, bring me something back. Going to New York. Bring me something back. doesn't matter where I'm going. Going to Lock and Cheetah. Bring me something back. And I very seldom do. I very seldom do. Because I, I, I don't ever want that to distract from the fact that daddy himself is back. And what I want to give you, Isaiah and Daisy, 
is myself now. I'm back and I've cleared my schedule and there's nothing I want to do other than give myself to you in this time. God has given of himself to his beloved children in the Holy Spirit. And there's power in that. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Notice it's in the past tense there in Romans 8 too. It has been done. In this prayer that we've been studying in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 23, he's not praying for them to have anything they don't already have. Did that ever strike you as we're reading it? He's not praying for them to have anything they don't already yet have in Christ. He just wants them to experience the fullness thereof. He wants them to lay hold of it. He wants them to realize it. He wants them to have fruitful, powerful, wonderful Christian living. The Spirit has already freed you from the power of death and the power of sin. So the goal of Christianity is to lay hold of that experientially. We don't want merely a cognizant Christianity. We don't want a theoretical Christianity. We don't want the one that's just lived out on Sundays or or in our head or merely in the pages of Scripture. We want a real experience of God in us. Anything less is silly. Dead religion. The Spirit has freed us from the power of sin. And so the goal is to lay hold of that. We'll talk about how to do that in a minute. But look at the resource that the Holy Spirit is as we quote 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that we looked at last week. Such good news here. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you could stand. How kind of him, right? How really good of him. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Last week, I suggested that that way out is often a, a passage of scripture that you've committed to memory, right? That, that's hidden in your heart that you might not sin against God. So that in the moment of temptation, you're saying, wow, I'm, 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 I'm tempted to do this. God's word says I won't be tempted, but what I'm beyond uh, or able to bear. And, and God's given me a way out. And, and then you bring to remembrance what the word of God says about that situation. And it's helpful. But a way out also is always the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps the most uttered prayer in my life is, God, give me the power of the Holy Spirit right now to resist some temptation. To resist in this moment. Immediate power for the Christian. Always available. Unending resource. If we err, if we go ahead and sin, it's not because there was any lack of the Holy Spirit. Right? Because we, we chose to continue in that rebellion anyway. But the good news is that we don't have to. I mean, that, that verse is telling us we don't have to fall to the same old temptation again. God has put parameters on it, and then God has supplied us with power. What sort of power? The power of himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. Turn to Galatians, the book right before Ephesians, chapter 5, if you would. We'll just read a few verses here about the Spirit in our Christian lives. Chapter 5, starting in verse 16 of Galatians. Verse 16 of chapter 5. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. 
The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. Talking about this, this battle within, this tug of war that we experience every day. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Isn't that weird when it happens like that? Like all of a sudden you desire something good and righteous and holy and glorifying to God, whereas before you hadn't, you're like, wow, all of a sudden I'm weird. This is awesome. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envying, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And then this sobering statement. Let me, let me tell you again, as I've, as I've before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but, okay, Salvific test here, test of salvation. The Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit in you produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. The Holy Spirit produces these things in the life of the believer. That's radical, powerful change to be transformed from engaging in the list above to resembling the list below. Notice it isn't due to any self-effort. It's not, Matt will try so hard that he'll have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's not, Cody will do so well that he'll have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, It's that the Holy Spirit produces in you as we give ourselves to God in the purposes of God. The Holy Spirit is working mightily in us transformation. So Romans 8.13 says, through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. So for those of us for whom sin is really kind of the issue of the day, there's incredible good news to lay hold of today in the power of the person of the Holy Spirit who frees us from the power of sin. Now, the Holy Spirit also has a power, and we'll talk about how in just a moment. The, the Holy Spirit also has a power to free us from the power of doubt and despair. Any, anybody ever struggle with doubt and despair? I, I do. I have a lot the last couple of years. Doubt and despair. Look what Romans fifteen thirteen says. I pray that God, the source of hope. Notice that the source of hope is not our circumstances or the promises of people or any earthly thing or relationship. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. This doubt and despair for which so many of us raise our hands and say that we struggle with that. I think more of us do than we're willing to raise our hands. This doubt and despair is dealt with by the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is such good news. That's why it's called the promise of the Father by Jesus. That's why Jesus even said in the Gospel of John, it's better that I go physically so that the Holy Spirit can come into the world. It's such good news for those of us who would say, I, I sin more than I want to and I struggle with doubt and despair. 
I want to live differently. I want to behave differently. I want to have this different quality of life that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I want joy and peace and confident hope. But I'm very aware of my weakness and my inability. I have a hard time resisting sin. I have a hard time pulling myself up by my bootstraps when when I'm sensing despair and creating joy or peace. When I'm doubting, I have a hard time to just find this confident hope and just pull it out of the air. Though I know I should have those things as a Christian, I have to confess I'm incredibly weak and they're seldom my experience. It is for that person that the Holy Spirit is tremendous good news. Paul, when he was struggling with the difficulty that God allowed him to experience, and the difficulty is, is not the issue. The deliverance is the issue. Very interesting form of deliverance. In, in 2 Corinthians 12, he testifies and says, starting in verse 8, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Okay, forget about what Paul's problem in the moment was. What's yours? How often have you prayed, Lord, take this from me? Whether it's an addiction, a bitterness, a pain. Lord, take this from me. And that's really what we want, right? We just don't want to deal with it. God, just take it. Whether it's a wrong attraction, have you ever prayed that one? Like, Lord, if they're not one for me, then make me not attracted to them. Just take it away. Make me not feel anything. That's, that's what we want. But listen now. Each time, Paul says, each time I prayed that, he, Jesus, said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. If I just took it away, you wouldn't be painfully aware of your frailty, of your vulnerability, of your inability to overcome. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Paul testifies and said, so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. The issue was not take it away. The issue was empower me to endure. The Christian life is not one of escapism. The Christian life is one of victory in the face of adversity. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass before me. The cup didn't pass. The Christ was nailed to the cross. But his time in the grave did not last. He was risen to newness and in victory in the face of evil by the power of the Holy Spirit. This, my brothers and sisters, is meant to be the same experience of his people. Verse 10, then, Paul testifies and says, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. Wow. Now we're seeing that struggle, which perhaps previously brought shame in a whole different way. Where we agreed, gosh, I have a hard time resisting sin. I I can't seem to manufacture peace and joy. I I can't seem to pull confident hope from thin air. Where before that may have made us appear as 
some sort of less than Christian. Now, now we're in the company of Paul, the great apostle, who says in verse 10, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults. Now it goes beyond his mere intrinsic weaknesses to external challenges. The insults, the hardships, persecutions, and troubles. Anybody got troubles? Troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, Christianity is weird. It's otherworldly. It's not the economy of this world. It doesn't work like this world works. When I am weak, suddenly I am strong. Why? Because you're not alone. Because the Christian life and the power thereof and, and victorious, fruitful Christian living is not dependent upon your religious efforts, your efforts, your self-effort, or pulling yourselves up by the proverbial bootstraps. It is dependent upon the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. So that when we are weakest, we become most dependent, then we are actually most strong. That's what's being said here. His power works best in our weakness. So there's a tremendous hint then in that text for us. A very important part of the Christian life then is to realize our weakness. You get that? Is to realize our weakness. It's not that we need to somehow make ourselves weak now, right? Let there not be found among us the Christians who are saying, oh no, I've been too strong. I've been too strong. I got to somehow make myself weak. No. We don't need to make ourselves weak. The issue is that we've been fooling ourselves when we don't think that we are indeed weak. That we can do this thing of ourselves. Scripture seems to say that we need a rescuer always. We need a daily help. A daily advocate. Daily someone who would come alongside us. This is the gift of the person of the Holy Spirit from the Father and the Son to the believer. But to experience the fullness thereof, we must recognize that we are weak and depend upon God for help. The disconnect is that we live in a culture of power. Right? We live in a culture of power. Where where the prevailing ideology is the strongest survive. Who's loud in our culture are those who can amass the most power. We live in a culture of power. It tells us to be strong and independent. The gospel comes along in scripture and tells us that we're actually weak and dependent. That we are contingent creatures from the moment of creation through all of eternity. We are never independent. We are contingent upon God both in creating us and sustaining us. And the goal of Christian life is not to grow to some place where we don't need to depend upon God anymore. The goal of the Christian life is to grow in dependence upon God. The mature Christian is the one who realizes more than anyone else in his or her company, I need God at this moment. I need God now more than ever before. The one that experiences more of God is the one who has said that. The one who's pursuing God is the one who realizes I I, I can't do this in and of myself. I'm a contingent creature. So how do we lay hold of that power? I realize I'm, I'm weak. Now what? Jesus was just very clear 
when he taught the disciples to pray in Luke chapter 11. After giving them what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer, he says this in verse 9, And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Then he gives this illustration and tells us what he's talking about. He says, you fathers, right? Any fathers here? You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Right? Nobody does that. Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Daddy, can I have an egg? Scorpion for you. (laughs) Jesus says, of course not. Then look what he says in verse 13. So if you sinful people, I, I like the way the New American Standard says it there. So if you being wicked, so if you being wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You say, I realize that I'm weak and that I can't do it enough myself. I I can't manufacture peace and joy. I can't seem to resist all the temptation before me. I can't seem to overcome these circumstances. I'm despairing when I ought to have confident hope. I'm weak. What do I do? Ask, seek, knock. Your earthly father's being wicked would give you good gifts. How much more your heavenly father being perfect in love and power will give us the greatest gift, the person of the Holy Spirit. So the way in which the Christian lays hold of the power of the person of the Holy Spirit is to ask. I want to put a proper theological phraseology on it, to pray. To pray with importunity which means to insist with insistence. The way Jesus said it here is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Sometimes prayer is just a matter of asking. Sometimes we've got to pray a little more and now we're seeking. Sometimes prayer is hard work and we're knocking. We've talked about the reasons why that is, the work that that accomplishes in us and the resistance that there is in the spiritual realm to the prayers that are prayed. If you're saying, I need more of this gift that you're talking about, the person of the Holy Spirit, then, then the issue is one of prayer, of seeking, asking, knocking. The dictate of the Christian life is that we do that with such consistency and vibrancy and reality that we begin to experience God working in and through us. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. If you're God's child, if you've been born again by repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus Christ, somewhere in you, there is a desire to please the Father. There's also in us an intense desire to sin and do wrong, isn't there? But as we increasingly submit to the power of the person of the Holy Spirit, there is ever more this desire to please the Father. God's at work in you to do that. 2 Corinthians 6, we prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. That's a Christian testimony. Ephesians, back in Ephesians now, chapter 3, 
Now all glory to God, verse 20, who is able through his mighty power at work within us. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit. To accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do more than we're thinking or imagining through our lives by the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. No one has ever lived a radical, world-changing Christian life apart from the fullness of the power of the Spirit. God's able to do more than we'd even have the imagination to pray. Look at Ephesians 5, if you would. Another little insight here. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 10. Ephesians 5.10 says, Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds or evil or darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, in juxtaposition to that other way of living, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled there is a present participle in Greek. It means this, literally. Be being filled. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not a matter of one-time prayer. Asking, seeking, knocking. For every day in the challenges that you face and trying to live a life that pleases God, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. The testimony of the book of Acts is that the church was repeatedly filled with the Holy Spirit and did world-changing things. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. How? Again, Jesus said, ask. Your father's good. He's kind. He wants to give you that good gift. And and look at the results there in the text. Wise living. God-glorifying thoughts and worshipful hearts. Grateful living. And humility toward one another. We didn't read that verse, verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Godly living. Look at how it worked out in the early church as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, I'll read it to you. Context here is opposition to the mission. And so because there was this opposition, they had a prayer meeting, which is what we do when there's opposition. It says in verse 31 of Acts 4, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness because they were being threatened. Don't preach the word of God anymore. You do that, we're going to throw you in prison. Gosh, what do we do? Well, let's pray. All of a sudden, well, we're just going to preach with more boldness then. Why? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Power. Verse 32. And all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything that they had. This is craziness. Verse 33, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's blessing was upon them all. Listen to this. Imagine, just imagine this for our cities. There were no needy people among them. 
It's one of the most radical things you've ever read. Socially, missionally, community-wise. There were no needy people among them. Because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. That's just radical. That's just radical Christian living. Don't talk about Jesus. We're going to throw you in prison. Let's pray. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Preaching with boldness. You have plenty. There's people in need. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Selling it. Supplying for those who are in need. Hey, we can't seem to agree and get along. There's a lot of differences here. Pray. Filled with the Holy Spirit. One mind, one heart. The results of the filling of the Holy Spirit were bold and powerful witnessing of the risen Christ, unity among believers, generosity with resources, and care for the needy among them. In other words, the church was beginning to look what the church was supposed to look like. The issue was the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. And again, he was given in response to need-induced prayer. We feel our frailty. We see our need. We're going to pray. God meets our need with the Holy Spirit. Life is different. This is the hope of Christianity. Anything less is silly. Anything less is silly. You've, you've got some weird religion. This is a true picture of Christianity. The power of the person of the Holy Spirit. God, we need you. And God changed their reality. Pun intended. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I'm finished. He said, if there were only one prayer I might pray before I died, it should be this. Lord, send thy church men and women filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. Because in the church would be bold and powerful witnessing, unity among believers, generosity with resources, and care for the needy. That is a desperate need. But I'll finish here. Are we willing? Because I, I just want to be honest, man. If we start seeking after the Holy Spirit, he's going to mess with your life. He's going to mess with your life. You don't think God's going to change you? You think you're going to seek more of the fullness of God in your life and just be the same? It's going to mess with you. A.W. Tozer wrote this. After a person is convinced that he or she can be filled with the Spirit, they must desire to be. To the interested inquirer, I ask these questions. Are you sure that you want to be possessed by his spirit who, while he is pure and gentle and wise and loving, will yet insist upon being Lord of your life? Are are you sure that you want your personality to be taken over by one who will require obedience to the written word? Who will not tolerate any of the self-sins in your life, self-love, self-indulgence? Who will not permit you to strut or boast or show off? who will take the direction of your life away from you and will preserve the sovereign right to test you and discipline you, who will strip away from you many loved objects which secretly harm your soul. Unless you can answer an eager yes to these questions, you do not want to be filled. You may want the thrill or the victory, or the power. But you don't really want to be filled with God's Spirit. Before there can be fullness, there must be emptiness. Before God 
can fill us with himself, we must first be emptied of ourselves. Wow. So it's laid out in front of you. So we're going to do this. We're going to pray together for the Holy Spirit to fill us individually and corporately. Only if you want it, though. Hear the words of A.W. Tozer. Hear those words that we just read. Only if you want it. So, so if you want that, then we're going to pray together. I, I want that. I'm standing in response that I want that. If you want that, stand where you are, and we're going to join together in prayer. Don't, don't do it out of some religious compulsion. Don't do it because others in the church are doing it. If you really want to pursue after the Holy Spirit, stand where you are. Campuses, same to you. Ventura, Carpentry, you can stand where you are right now. Put your hand on the person next to you and let's just ask the Lord. Lord, we together are aware of our weakness and our frailties and our inabilities. But we've seen the wonderful promise in your word that you loved us so much that you gave not only your son, but your spirit. So we're standing here saying together that we want more of the power of the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're willing to allow you to mess with our selfishness and our self-sins, our self-living, our self-pursuits, all that stuff, Lord. We're willing to allow you to mess with it because we want more of God and we want to look more like Christ and be more of a faithful church and faithful Christians. And we can't do it by ourselves. And so in all humility, we're just doing what you told us to do in your word. And we're saying, Father, give us the Holy Spirit. Baptize us, fill us, however we think of it, whatever you know we need. Holy Spirit, come upon us to be your children faithfully. To be the church you would have us be. Thank you. And in your wisdom, you don't always just deliver us out, but you bring us through. And in that, you bring out the gold. Thank you, Lord. We trust you in our lives. Lord, for each one now, fill us with your Holy Spirit to overflowing. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen.